Hey everyone, and welcome to Livingston First Church. We're so glad you're joining us today. We really hope you're ready to hear a great message from the Word of God. So prepare your hearts, prepare your ears, and get ready to receive a blessing from the Lord. Be blessed. Okay, uh, so we've been walking through uh, the prophetic and what prophecy is for the last couple, couple of weeks. Have you guys been blessed by that? Yeah, good. Amen. I have too. It's been a, a joy for me. I really value the prophetic and prophecy, and uh, it's fun to sort of dig into it and get some different revelation on the prophetic gift and the prophetic anointing, and really kind of have a clear understanding of what prophecy is. So we're just not like every other American church that just sweeps gifts that we don't understand, like tongues and prophecy, under the rug or hide it behind the carpet or the, the curtain and uh, hope that. It doesn't come out and uh, scare us any. So it's been good to be able to do that. Again, a recap, uh, prophecy is not fear-based. If you get a prophetic word that causes you to fear, that's not the spirit of God because God said, I did not give you a spirit of fear. I mean, that's pretty cut and dry, right? I did not give you a spirit of fear. Typically, uh, anybody giving you a message that is laced in fear is probably just trying to get some money from you and get you to do something and manipulate you. So uh, prophecy builds, encourages, strengthens, and gives direction and vision to God's church. Jesus walked this earth to reveal the Father, right? He was the picture of the Father, and he gave the church the gift of prophecy to uncover and reveal the strategy of heaven in building his church on the earth. Okay, just another recap. Uh, it's important that we hear that over and over again uh, so that we can grow in the gift of prophecy and actually build God's kingdom on earth by prophesying what he's called us to do. Amen? Amen. 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 Okay. So this week I want to talk to you guys about carrying prophetic words. So we've talked about prophetically calling forth destiny in others. We've talked about what prophecy is, and today I want to talk about carrying, and, and that was kind of cool that you were talking about uh, carrying the Word of God in your belly, because uh, that's, that's really what I want to talk about today, is God wants to teach you how to carry and steward prophetic words so that you can actually chase all He's called you to. How many of you know that you're called to build the kingdom of God? You are. You're called to be architects of the kingdom of God. Architect, not architects. I do that often. My wife always looks at me like, you said architect. It's not good. Architects. Architects of the kingdom of God. You're called to build the kingdom of God. And God has actually given you this gift called prophecy so that you can do that. Prophecy is foretelling, but it also calls things forward that are already in you that you're not aware of. So sometimes we think prophecy has got to always be like, like fortune telling. That's not true. It can call forward the, the future. It can. But more often than not, prophecy is like taking a lens and finding something that was already put in you by God that you had not discovered yet. Okay? And carrying prophetic words, you may not, you may get a prophetic word about something, you know, 10 years before you actually see the fulfillment of it. It doesn't mean it was in you. You're just discovering what it is in you while you walk that process out. Okay? So let's go to Mark 6. We, we are in Mark in our life journals, and this is a really cool story. Uh, Mark 6, uh, verse 45. Come on, get your Bibles out. Let's read together. It's like uh, reading rainbow. Let's all read together. 
everyone. <laughs> so Jesus just gets done feeding the multitudes. And it says in verse 45, immediately after this, now I have reading rainbow stuck in my head. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted, insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida. While he sent the people home, after telling everyone goodbye, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on water. He intended to go past them. But when, he saw, when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped and they were totally amazed for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracles of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. Verse 53, after they had crossed the lake, they landed at Genesaret. They brought the boat to shore and climbed out. The people recognized Jesus at once and they ran throughout the whole area carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out into the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. Praise God. That's great. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that your word is powerful. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so what a great story. They get done doing the multitudes, and uh, they've got another work to do in the vision of Jesus going to the cross. And uh, Jesus goes up to the mountain to pray by himself after feeding about 15,000 people off of uh, leftovers. And he sends the disciples out into the lake. Okay, pretty, pretty interesting uh, strategy and dynamic we have here. We have the disciples, they're probably pretty pumped up, right? They just saw a bunch of food multiply. I mean, that's gotta be pretty wild to see. Just like, look. I always like think about this. It, did they like keep reaching in and not look in the baskets and the loaves come out? Or did they like pull a loaf out and it just like confetti burst into more loaves? I don't know. I'm voting for the confetti that it just burst. But that's what happened. And he fed the multitudes with a little bit. And it's really cool. The disciples are probably pumped. And he says, okay, you're about to see even something crazier. People are going to be dragged out on their beds and I'm going to touch them. They're going to get healed and you're going to be a part of that. And you're going to see the kingdom get built. But before... You do that, get on a boat, and start rowing to the other side. Now, it's important that you understand that because we all know Jesus knows the storm is coming, correct? He's not unaware of what's about to happen. He sends them into a place where they're going to purposely get caught in a bad situation, doesn't he? He sends them into a rough, a rough uh, cruise on, on the lake. That doesn't seem like very gracious, does it? Like he just sends them out. In John 16, Jesus says to his disciples, I told you all this so that you may have peace in me here on earth. You will have many trials and sorrows. Take heart because I have overcome the world. So here we have a guarantee that you will have trials and you will have sorrows while living in this world. Have any of you experienced that yet? Have you got to that part in life? Just warning you, get ready, they're coming. 
Jesus promised it. This isn't me like speaking over you that you're going to have hard situations in your life. This is Jesus's word. He said to his disciples, take heart. You're going to have tests that push you to your limits. You're going to experience things that are going to make you overwhelmed with sorrow. You're going to have situations that you don't really like, but take heart. I have overcome. And you see, he puts them out in this lake and uh, it doesn't really seem like an act of God or maybe the, the wind and the wave and the violence of the weather is not an act of God, but this is planned for them by God. He planned for them to get caught in a storm. You know, sometimes we rebuke problems in our life. We're like, devil, get behind me. I don't want to deal with that. And we don't realize that this thing that we don't like is actually meant for us as a trial so we can grow up. You can't rebuke trials and expect growth. You actually have to embrace them. He said, take heart. Whose heart? His heart. Because I've overcome. You actually get to position yourself in trials from a place of victory and when you do that, you actually overcome the trial and prepare yourself for Genesaret where you're going to see people get healed when you touch Jesus' robe. Amen. See, trials may not be good, but they're not bad. Yeah, you've got to learn to embrace trials. You're going to experience sorrow living in this life. And part of being a mature Christian is not running and it's not going uh, away from the trial, and it's not looking to comfort when things get hard. It's learning to say, Lord, I trust that you brought me to this place. You said to go out to the other side of the lake, and this is where I am, so you must have known this was going to happen, so I trust that this is part of your plan for my life. See, because God uses these trials to actually squeeze us and expose in us the things we didn't know were there. Take, for instance, the fact Okay, now, granted, it's hard to see in the middle of a storm at night when you're on the water. Have, has anybody here ever been in a storm on the water? It's terrifying. It really is. Right? But Jesus starts walking towards them on the water, and their first response is to go, a ghost! That's crazy, right? Think about that. They have no, like, history with ghost interactions to make them think that the first thing that this could possibly be is a ghost. Like, where did that come from? They just spent months with Jesus. He's healed people. He's opened blind eyes. He's multiplied food. He's done all these amazing, miraculous, mind-blowing things. And the first thing they think is this has got to be a ghost. <laughs> There's no way this could be Jesus. This has to be go a ghost. Kind of seems silly, right? Like what pushed them to think in their head? Yeah, man walking on water, 100% ghost. Couldn't be Jesus. <laughs> I'll tell you, the storm actually squeezed them and pushed out fear in their hearts that they didn't realize was there. Did you know that when you're being squeezed, if you're not taking heart, that a good thing, can act, a God thing can actually look like an act of the enemy? Right? So they see Jesus, but because they're overcome with fear, the fear perverts their vision to see a ghost. Jesus never talked to them about ghosts. He, you know, there was never a scripture in the, the uh, Bible that says that Peter and, and James were like, Jesus, can you explain to us the difference between a ghost and uh, you walking on water? <laughs> That's not in there, is it? <laughs> 
No, but somehow the fear of the trial they were experiencing was perverting what they saw, which was God, into them believing that God was actually of the enemy. That can happen in your life. If you're not prepared for the trials, then the trials will actually look like works of the devil. But how many of you know Jesus said, you will experience trials? And we see a clear picture of him putting his disciples into a very difficult trial. Amen. So, if you're not being tested, you may have fell asleep in class. You may have checked out as a Christian. I'm not, and again, I'm not, I don't look for trouble. I'm not like waking up like, Lord, let's do this. Let's get, <laughs> bring all the bad stuff you can. I'm, I don't like to be uncomfortable. But learning how to be uncomfortable is how we learn how to see what God is actually doing. Okay? Okay. So then Jesus spoke to them and said, Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped, and they were totally amazed. Okay, so they're seeing a perversion based on their fear. And it says that he was passing by them, which is really interesting. We'll get there in a second. I guess he probably saw like a Starbucks and he was like, I'll get one of those. Then I'll help these guys out. But they were so freaked out, he stopped. So you imagine the boat and he's just passing by and they, he, he stops. And the wind doesn't stop when he stops. The wind stops when he speaks, Right? He says, take courage, I am here. And then chaos comes into order. Okay? It's important you see that. See, God's voice, the prophetic voice of God, actually speaks the reality of heaven into the chaos of earth. And, you know, Jesus probably could have stopped the show and the wind and the rain could have stopped when they all screamed, it's a ghost. He probably could have been like, okay, that's enough. They're calling me a ghost. I'm not into that. That's uh, not Christianly, and we'll stop this. And now you can see who I am. But he didn't do that. He actually was intending to walk by them. And then he spoke when he saw their fear. And then when he spoke and climbed in the boat, everything came into order. See, God's not interested in showing you until you're ready to receive the truth. And he actually gives us the voice and the gift of prophecy so we can learn to hear what is reality and speak that into our storms. Okay? So he speaks and then the storm stops. He doesn't get close enough and they don't recognize him until they hear his voice. He's just a ghost to them. I wonder how many times I'm in a trial and I prolong the excruciating pain of the trial because I'm not willing to stop and silence myself, hear God's voice and speak it into my situation. Amen. Amen. You're like, I don't hear God's voice. No, you do. Open your Bible. My sheep know my voice. I only come through the gate, which is the word. The gate is the word. It's the, it's the thing that creates osmosis for what we hear. Only that that is of God can pass through the gate, right? And then we can actually speak that into what we're experiencing to create order inside the chaos. 
So Jesus was teaching them a lesson. Yeah, you could probably figure it out if I got close enough to you, but then you wouldn't really learn the lesson of speaking the reality of heaven in the midst of the physical mess. What you see is not what you need to hear. Faith comes by. We need to hear so we can speak and bring into order the chaos that we're a part of. Amen. Thank you, guys. I felt good about that word, too. It was really good. (laughs) If you're not carrying prophetic words in your life, then all you're doing is learning how to ride out the storm. Okay? Let me say that again. If you're not carrying and stewarding prophetic words in your life, all you're doing is learning how to ride out the storm. And Jesus didn't say, take heart and ride out the storm. He said, take heart because I have overcome. So we have to learn how to hear God's voice, store it in our heart, and then speak it when it's applicable applicable in our process of going where he's called us to. Where were they called to? It's, it's like Jenner Surratt or something like that, right? They were called to the other side of the lake. What was between them and getting to the other side of the lake? The storm. What brought order on the lake into the storm? His voice. Amen. Okay. All right, we're getting it. So we can't overcome until we begin to steward God's voice in our heart. We need, this is, this is the truth, you need trials in your life in order to learn how to speak God's word into the atmosphere. I wish, I really do, I wish God could put you on the earth and just like, boop, push a button and it all downloads and you're good to go. That's not how it works. You have to have trials that one, expose the things in your heart that you call real, right? The disciples had fear sitting in their heart. The storm exposed it. And two, learn how to carry his voice into the trial and speak the truth. Okay? Go to Exodus 34. I'm going to make this connect here in a second. I'm going to try to. Exodus 34, verse 1. Thanks, Will. It's a beautiful sound, the thumbing of Bible pages. It really is. I I love it. Like when I hear that, it's like, yeah, come on. That's good. I use a tablet to preach, but when I'm listening, I use a paper Bible. And it just feels good to like... Lick your finger, turn the page. It does. I was with this guy who had a Bible that bled oil. And like he let me hold it and shake it and like look for the little tube, you know, that I thought was in there. (laughs) I said, how'd this happen? He's like, I was just reading my Bible and it started bleeding oil. And now people get healed when the oil touches them. I thought, that's amazing. And I thought like, well, Lord, why don't you do that to me? He said, well, then you better start reading your paper Bible if you want that that to happen. (laughs) Right? Okay. Exodus 34, verse 1. Then the Lord told Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first one. I will write them on on them the same words that were on the tablets you smashed. Be ready in the morning to climb up Mount Sinai and present yourself to me on the top of the mountain. No one else may come with you. In fact, no one is to appear anywhere on the mountain. Don't even let the flocks or the herds graze near the mountain. 
Verse 4, so Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones. Early in the morning, he climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with them, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. Thank you, Lord. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, and even children in the third and fourth generation. Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshiped, and he said, O Lord, if it is true that I found favor with you, then please travel with, with us. Yes, this is a stubborn and rebellious people, but please forgive our iniquity and our sins. Claim us as your own special possession. And then verse 10, the Lord said, listen, I'm making a covenant with you in the presence of all your people. I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power I will display for you. But listen carefully to everything I command you today. Then I will go ahead of you and I will drive out the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. It's a tongue twister. Be very careful to never make a treaty with these people who live in the land where you're going. If you do, you will follow their evil ways and be trapped. Okay, it's a lot. But where are we going here? So Moses, he's just come out of a really tricky situation. He goes up and he gets the first uh, set of stone tablets with the commandments on it. He comes down and what, is the Israel, what are the Israelites doing? They're worshiping a golden, like where did that come from, guys? Like a golden calf? Really? Really? So he comes down, he smashes the tablets, he grinds up the golden calf, he forces them to drink it, which I, you know, none of this is like God's commandment. He just does this out of frustration. Like, now you're just going to drink that. It's like when you get mad at your kids because they're not eating, you're like, now you're not going to have five bites. You're going to eat all the broccoli and I'm going to like it. And I'm going to watch you suffer, right? That's what he was doing. He's just like, drink that gold metal water. Ah! So he does that, he comes down. And uh, he's just really probably pretty frustrated. And he realizes he, again, he's already realized this before, but he says it again, I've probably bit off more than I can chew. Lord, we can't go any further unless you're going to come with us. And God uh, is like, okay, I see you, Moses. I like your heart. And Moses goes, no, seriously, if you're not going to show me what you look like and who you are and what it looks like where I'm going, I'm going no further. And the Lord goes, I, I like your heart posture. I'll tell you what, I'm going to hide you in this cleft of the rock and I'm going to let you see my glory. Right? I'm going to let you experience my glory. And he puts Moses in the rock and it says that he passes by him. Right? What did Jesus do on the lake? He was passing by. And then the Lord God begins to speak out. He covers Moses' eyes because he knows, how many of you know you can't fully comprehend where God is going to take you? Otherwise, you'd probably run. Right? I'd probably, if I knew all of what it entailed for me to be where I am today, I probably would have got, like, the heck out of there. Like, go, run, quickly now. You don't know. Not that it's not good, but it's hard. And I don't like hard. I like comfortable. <laughs> right? So he covers his eyes. 
and he begins to tell Moses, he speaks out loud his character. Now remember, Jesus was passing by the boat, and what did he say? Take courage, I am. Jesus was repeating to the disciples the same thing he told Moses a couple hundred years earlier. I am. I am. You're in a storm, but I am. I'm sovereign over the wind. I'm sovereign over the rain. I'm compassionate. I love you, and I have a plan and a purpose for your life. I am. And as Moses hears who God is, he falls to the ground and he begins to just receive God's glory over his life. You see, even then God knew if he doesn't learn how to speak out the purpose of my heart for his life, he's not going to be able to go any further. It doesn't matter what he sees. It matters what he stores up in his spirit, man, and reveals to the world as he moves forward. And then he makes a, covenant, a, a covenantal promise. I'm going before you to drive out the ites. Canaanites, Jebusites, Hevites, Levites, Mevites. No, not Levites. They're good. Keep them in. <laughs> but he makes that promise. Right? Because he's pretty sure that when Moses gets the Israelites to the promised land, they're going to make comfort an idol again. They're going to see all the ites and fear is going to begin to sound like common sense once again. You know, the disciples are rowing in the boat because that's what you do when you're in a storm. You just keep... But if they realized that the storm was ordained by God, there would have been no point to row. You could have just spoken out who God is over the storm and waited for his power to manifest in that place. And actually, he would have done the work that you had worn yourself out doing. Remember, Caleb is the only one out of all the Israelites who sees the giants of the land and says, this is what God has said over the promised land. Let's go. So he says to Moses, God says to Moses, don't make a covenant, a peace treaty with those people. I want you to contend for what I've promised you and don't let any sin, don't let any burden get in the way of what I said you're supposed to have. Then Jesus, as he's walking by the boat, he speaks and he brings everything into order. And what does he do? He gets in the boat. What does God say he's going to do with Moses? He says, I'll go before you. I'm going with you, but I'm going before you to do the work. See, that, that's a great old covenant picture is that if you're obedient, God does the work. In the new covenant, Jesus steps into the boat. Because not only does he go before us and with us, he goes inside of what we're inside. Remember Meshach and Abednego and the other guy. <laughs> they're, in the, they're in the fire. And where does Jesus go? In the fire. He goes with us into the trials. Right? And not only does he go with us, but he empowers us to speak the truth of who he is into the situation. You know, the, the, the chief lie the enemy tries to give you when you're walking through a trial that you just don't understand is that God is not in this with you. 
And then he'll start to create this web that if you would have done this in 2010, and if you would have done that in 2015, and if you wouldn't have said this to that person, then God would actually be moving in this situation for you. But because this happened to you, and this happened to you, and that happened to you, he's far off, he's watching you flounder, and you're just paying for your mistakes. It's not true. See, Jesus got into the boat with them. His word entered into them, into their situation, and restored ordered when they received it. Here's a, here's a good rule of thumb. However you feel in your terrible situation, in your, your trial, whatever emotion is overwhelming you and gripping you, typically God is just speaking the opposite. So when I'm covered up by fear, I'm just not listening to the Prince of Peace. When I feel like I'm alone, I don't realize the army of angels that God has dispatched into my service to help me fight the battle. When I feel uh, ashamed of myself and guilty, God is actually saying, I've given you freedom from that sin if you'll just speak what I've given you to speak. See, some of us, uh, there's, there's, there's a couple of responses that I, that I feel the Lord wants to, to deal with. There's some of us who are like one of the disciples but jumped out of the boat and have just swam to shore. Like we've just taken ourselves out of the process. We don't even, like if, if there's storms involved, I don't even want to do this anymore. I would rather just sit safely on the shore and observe and, you know, if they need somebody to, to buy sweet tea every once in a while, I'm happy to do that. But otherwise, I don't want to go on that boat. Right? We've just checked out. We, we've realized that, you know, bad things come out of us when we get squeezed. And we don't want to go through the process of getting squeezed anymore. So we're just checking out. And then there's some of us who the enemy has just tied up with the trick of rebuking the enemy over and over and over and over again. I rebuke you, Satan, and we get so caught up with what the devil's doing, we lose vision of what God's doing. I think God wants to deal with those two places today. And I think if you're sitting here and you're in the middle of a trial, which if you've got warm blood and you're breathing, you probably are, I believe God has a fresh word that he wants to speak into your trial. And he doesn't want to give you that fresh word so you'll just store it up and just like keep it locked away in the dungeons of stored up words. He wants to give you that word so you can then speak it over the situation. Let's stand up. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that the Holy Spirit truly ministered to you through this message from the Word of God. If you'd like to know more, Look us up at livingstonfirstchurch.com or follow us on social media. And we look forward to seeing you in person soon.